this Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and what you're about to listen to was previously recorded for a radio interview. Hello, this is Alan. We're on WYRZ, and my guest today is John Waite. John, how are you? Uh, very good, Alan. I'm in Santa Monica, and uh, life is good. Life is good. Um, I'm going to go through uh, just a little bit of questions here. Uh, yeah. One of my listeners sent to me, and this would be kind of a, a question I might draw on myself, but this comes to you from uh, Robert Lawless out yeah. of Minnesota. And yeah. He wants to know, at what age did you realize that music was what you wanted to do for a career? Yeah, that's an early question. That's like uh, that's like that's like an early answer. That's just I mean, since I was a little kid, uh, my family was musical. Uh, my brother Joe played the guitar really well, still does electric guitar. My mum played piano. My dad loved music, had a big uh, classical music collection. My cousin Michael was kind of a famous banjo player, painter. So I grew up with music, and when you listening to the uh, intro to the TV shows in England, like for the Cowboys and Indians type of, you know, Gunsmoke, Champion the Wonder Horse and all that stuff. Uh, it's all Cowboys and Indians, and there was usually Western music playing to that. You know, Champion the Wonder Horse. And, you know, I'd be sat there in a David Crockett hat thinking about America, you know. It was only a couple of, it was a hop, skip and a jump from cowboys and Indians to rock and roll because he was American, you know. So, I mean, uh, I was ready to go from a very early age. I was always musical. Okay. Um, who were your musical influences at a young age? Well, I would say Marty Robbins because of all the Western songs and that great album cover, uh, Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs, that really knocked me out, just the cover. I remember looking up at that in a record store when I was about five and just being like transfixed. But the Shadows, my brother was a big Shadows fan, Hank B. Marvin, you know, instrumentals. And uh, then the Beatles happened, but it was the band that was Brenda Lee. I, I loved Brenda Lee when I was a little boy. And that was a, a, quite a strong country presence in my musical upbringing because that's really what was able to get through on the radio. They didn't play much rock on the radio, but he did play country. Okay. Um, I'll throw another question at you from uh, one of my listeners, and this is from Steve Fatute from here in uh, Avon, Indiana. And he said, John, you were one of the few musicians that kept the momentum going from the mid to late 70s with the babies and carried that into the 80s during a time when no pop was seemingly taken over the airwaves. How did you stay true to yourself and to your music, both in your solo career and with your time with Bad English? Well, I think that I've always written the same songs. It's just the instrumentation might change. You know, um, I, I can only be one thing, which is me. I don't sound like anybody else, and I don't want to. There are people that I admire a great deal, but I don't want to go and work with them to sort of get any kind of stardust rubbed off on me. I just sort of look at it and think, 
boy, that's brilliant. I'm happy with what, I mean, happy is a strong word. I'm driven to write the songs I, I write with the melodies I've got. And uh, the angle of it is sort of personal from the first person. And I give, that gives me a certain style. But um, I just kept writing the same stuff. And if the guitar player changed, um, which it did quite frequently, the style might change ever so slightly. But I think that is good, you know. I always want to move forward. I don't want to make the same record over and over again and become an arena rock dinosaur. I just don't want to do that. I would quit first. Well, I, I got to say, uh, a friend of mine and I, we went and saw you, I think it was October 16th of 1985 at Marcus <laughs> Arena here in Indianapolis, and it was you and Cheap Trick. And, uh, yeah, great. You know, we were big fans way back in the day. Still a big fan. I mean, continue to just keep on with the same, just neat sound, your great songwriting, and your beautiful voice. Um, Thank you. uh, We're going to go ahead, and we're going to go ahead, and uh, we're going to listen to Missing You. Uh, That was uh, one of John Wade's big hits back in 1984, which is going to lead me to a question of when the duet between you and Alice Krauss came about, how did that come about? Was that something she came to you? Did you go to her? I mean, you, you've got a beautiful voice. And Allison Krauss, I mean, wow. Yeah. Well, that's probably, that's probably my, my favorite version of Missing You is that, probably. Um, I was in Nashville. I was living in Nashville, really, mostly. I've been down there for like 10 years. The, the explosion of Nashville hadn't happened yet, and it was still a country, kind of classic town. Uh and I was making an album of sort of recutting some big hits like Isn't It Time and uh, Change and all that stuff and, and I got to Missing You and I thought well how could I do that differently and it's just as usual you know I, I put one on one together and it comes out too you know I, I kind of I'm good at thinking on my feet and I thought Alison I thought let's duet let's try and see if I can get a duet I mean Alison was a high note for me not to be so, uh, to use the metaphor, but I mean, I, um, she really was and is still the heart of modern bluegrass and um, uh, a luminous artistic force in bluegrass. And I was very honored. I, I got my manager to ring a fur manager and say, would you be interested? And apparently she knew all about me and was a bit of a fan and and uh, apparently she, the manager shouted back to Alice and John Wentz on the phone or John Wentz's manager he wants you to do Missing You do you want to do it she said yeah so I mean it was it was like uh, that two days later I bumped into her uh, kind of in the street I was outside a record shop and uh, she drove past and she rolled down the window and said hey how are you all doing you know doing that country thing <laughs> We just stood there and laughed at each other. And then um, I met her in the studio like three hours later. And we had a go at it. You know, we, we did it. And it it was like, you know, okay. And I took it home and I thought, you know, this isn't really, this isn't it. So I rang her up and said, do you want to come back and have another crack at it now? You've done it once. And she did. And he went off like a rocket the second day. Um... It really was great. I mean, it was like, uh, it was just meant to be, you know, it was one of those things that it, it was like the clock stopped. I'm very proud of that. I really am. I'm, I always adored country and I, 
like we talked about since I was a little kid, but especially bluegrass. The, the greats like uh, uh, the, the Larry Sparks and Del McCurry, the Whites. I got to meet a lot of those people through Allison, and it really meant a lot to me. It was a wonderful time to, uh, to be in Nashville, yeah. That kind of, I mean, just the two beautiful voices together just made that a really unique sound, I think. Which, well, she understood the song. She understood it. A lot of people go into that song when they cover it and just get it wrong. You know, it isn't. It isn't about blazing away, and it's reflective. You know, it's a, it's a confessional song, and I think it worked as well as it did because it was two people talking to each other, which made it even more poignant and ironic that the two people were together. Well, uh, let's go to the next question I have here for you. Yeah. With, with doing the duet with, with Allison, and you've been yeah. babies, and you've been in bad English, If it, whether it's somebody present or somebody that's been in the past, and you mentioned some of the country artists, if yeah. you could do a duet with anybody that you haven't done one with, who would you like to do a duet with? Well, that's interesting. I've always been... Uh a really big fan of uh, the female voice. I don't really listen to other men singing. Uh, I just, I'm very confident about what I do and I know what I do is kind of potent. I don't look for influence or to try and keep up with the Joneses, I don't care. Uh, but when I listen to women, I, I really am, they're much more expressive. I mean, men sound like dogs barking. I mean, they're making a statement about being full of testosterone and I'm going to do this and watch out, baby, because I'm a hard-rocking daddy, really. But um, but women get right to it. They get right to the heart of the uh, passionate surrender of what love is. And, and, and so I would answer your question by saying just about everybody. I would take a shot at doing a duet with any female that could uh, really hold her own. I wouldn't look at it and go like, is that good for my career? Or I would just walk into it. I mean, there obviously there's just some, there's some fantastic singers, women singers, you know? But uh, I would be hard pressed to make a choice, honestly. I love them all. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. Um, besides your music, and this is usually a hard question for musicians to answer, yeah. do you have any hobbies? I live. 
the, the life experience to me is much more important than anything else. I mean, if you were if you were drowning at sea in a, in a ship, you wouldn't be thinking about what you were trying to say. You'd be trying to breathe, and such is life, you know. I'm breathing. That's a good answer. That one of your hobbies. That was one of the things I was going to talk to you about. Was your uh, art, your selfie, hand painted drawing? Yeah. Uh, we did you start that, and uh, what is what inspired you to, to do that? Well, the selfie art that's, that's for sale on the, on the John Wick Worldwide is just a sketch. I mean, I went to art school for four years, and I learned to paint and design and studied architecture, sculpture, fine art, and graphic design, illustration, the works, you know. And um, it, the selfie thing is just a, a, it's like a, a Rolls Royce uh, sketch. It's like a, it's, it's got some artistic slants and they're all different, but I used to do that for fans outside the, the theaters, you know, the gigs. If somebody couldn't get in and they were waiting to meet me or they wanted to sign an album, I would draw them a, a little caricature on their albums as a because I'd waited around in the cold, you know. I didn't want to just sign something for people and say thanks a lot, see ya. I wanted to make it special because they've been some of these people have been my fans. Oh, yeah, that's a strong word, but followed my career since since you know they were twenty, and um, there's a definite bond between us. And I wanted to reciprocate, you know. And it's from that. If you want to go and get one, uh, the for sale on the on the on the website. If you want to get your own, hang around outside the gig. <laughs> it's free. Um, but um, we sell them at every gig. Um, we sell CDs. We don't sell T-shirts, but we do. We have the whole range of selfies. There's like usually about twenty pieces of art and. Uh, and all the CDs. I'm thinking about doing a whole series of different people now. Drawing yourself can get kind of old. But uh, I was thinking about doing a bunch of country artists and blues artists to, to up, up my game. Oh, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. Um, and and you, you said strong word, fan. You know, I, John, you've got lots of fans. I've been listening since I'm 52, and I was listening to you back in early high school. I mean, oh, that's great. everybody that's loved wonderful. the babies. Everybody loved missing you. I mean, you were, you know, you were part of my. That's no, good. That's kind of you. Well, thanks a lot. You know, I mean, yeah, it, 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 what can I say? I'm very touched. Thank you. I mean, if it wasn't for the people listening, then I couldn't say anything. So, I mean, it's a two way street, and I appreciate it. I really do. Um,. Are you uh, into charities? And if you are, what are the charities you support? And what do you do to support the charities? That's a good one. Uh, I haven't actually supported a charity for a long time. I haven't been asked to be involved. But uh, some time ago in Las Vegas, uh, there was a Shade Tree Foundation that was there for the homeless women's shelter that I kept doing concerts for. Jeff Wally, who was... Uh, uh, originally from and still is now Indiana, Indianapolis. He he uh, was organizing it, and we raised quite a lot of money. Uh, but he took it upon himself to bring me in and get my band to do it at like the Hard Rock and stuff, wherever it was. And we'd go back every year and play a concert. We raised quite a lot of money. But I mean, it's a lovely thing to do, you know. I mean, I, I think we've been looking at that 
for a while. It would be great to go and swing by a church on the Sunday after a Saturday gig and do a food drive. You know, I'd be up for that in a heartbeat, but you can't advertise that before you play, or people wouldn't come to see us play on a Saturday. So it's, you do what you can where you can. And if somebody's in trouble, you step forward. It's a small thing to do. And uh, charity can happen in an instant. You don't have to be heading up a red carpet situation or selling off guitars. You can just live your life in a way which is uh, compassionate and decent and is about helping the other guy or woman or child. Yes, yes, I like that answer. Um, you're going to be playing October 6th here in Indianapolis at the Vogue Theater. Um, yeah. A, have you ever played there before? Yeah, I think I have. Um, and what should the fans expect to see? Uh, a lot of nudity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. We, we come out and hit it pretty hard. We have all these hits like back on my feet again, head first every time I think of you. Uh, in dreams, how did I get back out you? Uh, missing you, when I see you smile, we just got all these songs and we try to stir into that songs that are going to jar people, do a couple of covers and um, it's a blazing show in the middle, yeah, well, especially in the theatre situation, we stop and play like three or four unplugged songs, like the really dark, more lyrical songs like Downtown or Masterpiece of Loneliness, Bluebird Cafe. We try to do that in the middle. It gives great structure to the evening. And uh, being British and influenced by folk and country and blues, it's just a natural thing for me. Um, so I, uh, if the crowd are really uh, noisy and going for it, I usually try and keep it down to two songs. But if they're into it, we might do five, you know. But it, every every night is different, and every audience is different, and uh, and we act accordingly. It's just a performance, you know. Everything is about performance. Okay. Um, you you've mentioned country quite a bit, and I don't know if you've seen the. Uh documentary that just started or heard about it on PBS on yeah I saw it I saw it advertised last night um, if you get a chance make sure you watch that because if you're into country music it's, it's really interesting how everything kind of they just kind of walk you through how this happened to that it's it's pretty well I already know I'm an outsider I've been, so I've been paying attention since I was a kid uh, you know I actually went for a cocktail with Dolly Parton once. I mean, I, I kind of, I've, uh, I, I know a lot about country and I have nothing but respect for it, but I, I'm a bit leery of uh, country turning into such a big business. It's, I don't think it is hard. Country's meant to be there. There's something really personal about country. There's something one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. There's something re revealing and heartfelt and truthful. And I don't think it, adapts well to smoke pots and flashing lights and you know I don't I think it's about the song it's about it is about the performer and like I said before it's about the person listening and I think it's a very intimate form of music even when it's rocking like hell so I, I don't want to see it go the way that rock and roll went you know okay if I can say that if I can say well, that no, I, mean, no, I, you know. I agree I agree I agree 
you know, you got to be very careful. But country music, I don't think, is what it used to be. You know, there's no reason to be careful about it. You know, you can say what you have to say about it. I mean, I, I, I'm trying not to use any four-letter words, but I mean, I would say that two-thirds of modern country right now is absolutely. I would have to agree with you. Maybe three-fourths. Yeah. song here before I end with my last few questions. Uh, let's play Back on My Feet again. Sure. John, I've just got a last, couple last questions here. Sure. Um, I want to make sure I say this right so it doesn't come out uh, like in the past tense, but one of these days um, you're done playing music, um, you're sitting on a beach, you're reading a book, drinking your coffee. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to be remembered for? John Waite on WYRZ, and thanks for stopping by. It's been my pleasure. This is Alan Kiger, and I hope you've enjoyed the interview on Sights and Sounds. The music that frames this podcast is the original music of Paul Myrie.